I'm Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. We've made it to the 21st episode, and I have another very special interview for you. Sarah Aspler, Senior Editor at BuzzFeed, joins us on today's podcast. She has a wicked sense of humor and creates nonsensical quizzes for a living. It's magic. Sarah will help us understand some of the visual design decisions made at BuzzFeed, including a look into the world of professional meme making and a glimpse into her career path that led her to her current role. I can't wait for you to meet her. For those of you who are unfamiliar with BuzzFeed, let me introduce you to the wonderful world of procrastination. BuzzFeed is the world's leading independent digital media company which leverages data and innovation to reach hundreds of millions of people globally. In other words, their content permeates the hearts and minds of people in every part of the world. The company creates articles, lists, quizzes, and videos, as well as owning a portfolio of lifestyle brands, engaging in investigative journalism, and developing products and experiences. They are huge. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how your love of all things BuzzFeed got started? I'm a senior editor at BuzzFeed, and I've been there for about five years. And how I kind of came across and fell in love with BuzzFeed is that I just read it casually for fun all the time and watched their YouTube videos, especially their international taste test videos, trying snacks all around the world. Those are a personal favorite. And of course, I always took their quizzes. To be honest with you, I probably was on the site when I was supposed to be studying, but uh, luckily for me, it looks like that's paid off. (laughs) Absolutely. How did you actually land your job at BuzzFeed? And what's your career path been like since you've kind of risen through the ranks in the last five years? I would say it's sort of a surprising career path, and I I never expected to get a job at BuzzFeed, um, but I did. So While I was attending Ryerson in the graphic communications program, I decided one day to make a community account on BuzzFeed. So not a lot of people know this, but anyone can actually create a post or a quiz on BuzzFeed just for fun. And it's fun to share with your friends. And every time you write a post, it actually gets submitted to be published on the actual site. And editors can read it and decide if they like it, they can promote it. So I noticed that actually a couple of my posts that I just wrote for fun when I was bored, were promoted and actually received quite a bit of traffic. And then at Ryerson, when I got my internship, I started working at Mars Discovery District, which is an innovation hub funded by the government to help uh, promote innovation and entrepreneurship within Ontario. So I worked on their communications team. Then after graduating from Ryerson, I was lucky enough to be offered a full-time job there doing corporate communications essentially the same stuff. And I really, really liked the team I was on, but that specific role in corporate communications lacked a lot of creative freedom. So I kind of returned back to making BuzzFeed posts for the sheer fun of it. 
And I actually found out that they were hiring in New York, uh, like editor editorial fellows, sorry. So I was like, wow, that sounds cool, I'll apply. So while waiting to hear back about that application to the New York position, BuzzFeed actually reached out to me saying that they were opening an office in Toronto, that they had seen my community posts and that they liked that I sort of knew the BuzzFeed voice and, and had successful posts. Um, so they asked me to come in for an interview. So I went in for the interview and I got it. And I was able to show them even before working there, I had an understanding of creative writing, design fundamentals and the BuzzFeed voice. So I was hired initially as a staff writer in the Toronto office, exclusively, exclusively writing Canadian-inspired posts and quizzes. And then after about a year, there were some internal changes. So I transitioned onto the New York editorial team where I got to write about things that weren't just Canadian. Um, so over the years, sort of more recently, I've worked my way up to senior editor by working on a bunch of special projects, like helping develop board games for the company, uh, coming up with game show ideas for YouTube series, and most recently working on a quiz coffee table book that will actually be published soon. So that'll be out soon, which is really cool. But yeah, like day to day, I spend my time writing and editing quizzes, consulting on projects across the company when it comes to anything quiz related, and hosting brainstorms and training sessions on how to write meaningful quiz results, how to make quizzes more accessible, and how to make them like look better. That's fantastic. So do you remember what the that first post that you created when you were a community member? Do you remember what that actually was that got lots of traffic that the BuzzFeed editors decided to uh, to, to publish? Yeah, it was um, a post that I wrote on Christmas Day and it was Christmas morning and it was called what it's like to be Jewish on Christmas Day. <laughs> it's essentially like how you have no people to hang out with. Um, like you just go get dim sum and watch movies. That one was one of the top ones. And then after that one, I had one that um, did exceptionally well, which was about um, what happens when you go to your first spin class ever and like thoughts you have when you go to a spin class for the first time. I have a secret for you and for anybody listening. So I have been to a spin class, a total of, I guess, total of two spin classes in my life. The first one I, I did, I, I did it. I did the whole thing. The second one, I ran when the instructor turned her back halfway through. I needed to get out of there immediately and I've never gone back. <laughs> That's why you need to strategically pick a bike like near the door. That's like, was a very important <laughs> And that post was like, be near a fan or just like, get out of there. Like learn how to unhook those little shoes. <laughs> sometimes you need to leave. Absolutely. Um, In terms of designing memes and quizzes for a living, what actually goes into the visual dis uh, design decisions and the content that you produce? I'll quickly touch on memes because I used to do that a lot and I've done it, I haven't done it as, as much recently, but I would use Photoshop to design everything. And one kind of funny thing that we realized was that actually like the lower res the meme or like the jankier the meme was, it shared better. Really like polished looking memes look too corporate and kind of like try hard. Um, so we would like purposely like make them look worse, which is like, <laughs> as someone who studied design and typography, like killed my soul. Like switching gears into like quiz design, like 
it's the complete opposite case. Um, you want things to look really legible because it's an experience someone goes through and they need to understand things um, for their expectations to be met. So like if they can't understand a quiz or read it, they'll become really frustrated and it's not as accessible. So we choose like from pre-approved set of fonts that look good on both mobile and web. Most of our audience um, accesses the site and quizzes. Uh, through our app or through mobile. So that's really important to keep in mind. One, one thing that when I'm editing quizzes, I always look for is that there's a stark contrast between the text and the background, which helps uh, love, like people of all accessibility levels, sorry, consume and digest our content. And the other big thing is photo and photo rights. We're a company and you know, you can get in a lot of legal trouble if you use photos without you know, purchasing them or attributing the sources properly. So as a quiz writer, we use Getty a lot, but what's kind of fun is that a lot of quiz writers um, create their own artwork for certain quizzes. So one recent example is Audrey, a writer on our quiz team, recently did an inkblot test and she actually illustrated them using Illustrator and Photoshop. She just didn't like the stock ones that were available or saw that we had actually used them in other quizzes. So she actually made inkblots that kind of resembled the Avengers characters, which is like kind of fun. But yeah, that's sort of, we use, you know, Photoshop, sometimes Illustrator, um, and we have like an internal BuzzFeed CMS like program that has pre-approved fonts and colors. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what are the pre-approved fonts? Can you, can you uh, divulge any of those BuzzFeed approved fonts? So BuzzFeed has like a BuzzFeed font called Proxima Nova, or we like bought the full on rights to it and it's the one used in our logo. Yes, one of the best. Yes, so we love that. Um, we use that one a lot. There's a condensed and also a, a bolder, thicker option, which people can use. And there's a couple more. I'm not really sure of the names. Like one is really scripty and no one uses it because it's very hard to read on mobile. Uh, and right now we're like, can you remove that and replace it with a better one? Um, but typically, they're sans serif fonts. And when it comes to colors, like the like our actual system will not allow you to choose a text color and a background color that are too similar. Like you'll get a warning. Um, it's a really cool thing that they've built in to make sure that people can can see, you know, the difference. So you mean you don't have any yellow text on a like, indigo blue background for your quizzes? I would say like colors that are closer together won't allow like pink on like a red background. The sometimes to me, the color combinations like look gross, but they're, they're, you want a dramatic change for people to be able to see. Um, recently, BuzzFeed has done like a huge push towards accessibility, which includes like alt text and being mindful of like the colors we use um, for people who are colorblind. So you won't, you're not allowed, I'm not sure of the exact colors, but like to use colors that a colorblind person would see as similar. Uh, the system won't allow you to enter those in. Well, it's excellent. I mean, any step towards more accessible design is, I think, an important one. And accessible design is often good design for everybody else, too. It benefits everybody. So that's great to hear. Yeah, and we actually brought in a bunch of people who use screen readers, which, which read aloud or simulate the experience of what somebody who, like, cannot visually see the quiz, like, to the full extent that we design it. And it was really interesting because like say a quiz is like you're identifying Disney characters and the quiz when I put it in it says who is this and it's a photo of Ariel from the Little Mermaid somebody who like uses alt text if there's no alt text on the photo of Ariel from the Little Mermaid has no idea 
um, what it is. So you would say like, we describe like a mermaid on a rock overlooking water wearing like a shell crop top. I don't know, something like that. So the experience can reach as many people as possible. That's great to hear. And just to go back to your quiz writing for a second, I just wanted to brag for, for a quick second that I, I took two of your quizzes recently and I, I did pretty well. So I took the hardest Michael Scott questions from every season of The Office quiz and I only got one wrong. I was pretty proud of myself. And then I did the 60 seconds to type every letter of the alphabet and I managed to get do it in 11 seconds. That's crazy. But that's, that's really enough about me <laughs> and my and my execution of your quizzes. <laughs> I, I always get nervous when people say I took your quiz and I want to talk about it because it's usually someone saying like, "That's not a hazelnut. That's a chestnut." That's those are emails I got today about my about my quizzes. So I I'm very proud of you. I want to see your score in the Dwight one that I just put up. Yes. Okay. I will let you know. I will send that to you. So what do you, what is the most challenging thing about what you do at BuzzFeed? Honestly, staying motivated when you put a lot of effort into something and it like completely flops and, and fails. Um, there's been several occasions where I've actually spent like almost an entire week working on one quiz that ends up getting less than a hundred thousand views. And I know that, I know that sounds crazy, but a hundred thousand views is actually really low for us. So to put that much effort in and then not get anything on the, on the other side is kind of disappointing. And I find like personally, it takes a lot of my own brain power and like swallowing my pride to kind of admit like this thing that I put a lot of effort into like failed. But I found like with time and with being on the quiz team, like we'll all do a postmortem and look at the quiz together and sort of see, um, you know, problem areas, maybe why it didn't succeed, if it was timing or design, or if the quiz was too challenging, or if the quiz was too easy, and try to come up with creative ways to avoid those in the future. So we don't waste a lot of time on, on something similar. So if 100,000 views is not considered a lot of views, what is considered a lot of views? What's considered a success? I would say a, a home run is a million views, but like a good quiz is around the, it's around the half million mark. But sometimes it depends because we measure the success in two different ways. One is just with traffic, which is what we've talked about so far. So just the sheer amount of people who went to, to the quiz to look at it. The other one is what we call impact or shares. So maybe it got less views, but the people who read it, it really resonated with them. So one post I did, it's not a quiz, was called like 27 struggles only people named Sarah will understand, which is like, <laughs> incredibly specific post but it was shared like at an, ex at an insane rate amongst people named Sarah on the internet so it's not like people stumbled upon a food quiz and just took it it's like I shared it with all the people I know named Sarah in my life it spoke to them it's like finding your name on the keychain at the zoo gift shop exactly <laughs> the magical moment those are the two ways we sort of measure success as of right now. And sorry, going back to the, the number of views, the traffic, over what length of time is that measured? So 100,000 views over X number of days or weeks is considered not, not a great turnout. I would say like three days because of the, the sheer volume of quizzes and posts that we publish. Unless something has like a long tail, like like the Sarah quiz, every, sorry, the Sarah post, every couple months I'll get an email saying that it's trending again. 
because it's an evergreen post, it's about something that's not untimely that people can rediscover and share over and over again. But like we did a quiz on like which character from Tiger King are you, which was like incredibly topical and timely, which got like three million views in two days and then now has never been taken again. So no one, everyone's over it. They're like someone's uncle who discovers Tiger King in three months and he's just gonna lead that lead that way exactly and it feels like that was like 20 years ago too right? <laughs> the concept of time it's like really <laughs> messing me up so long ago oh so what it's probably hard to narrow it down i i know it it probably is but what's your favorite ever thing that you've produced or done at buzzfeed i would say like i briefly mentioned it earlier but earlier this year i was working with a publisher to create the quiz coffee table book, which isn't available now, but will be soon. So it was a really cool project. I got to go to New York um, to work with other writers and editors and a publishing team to convert all these quizzes that were built for the internet, built to take on phones and computers and reformat them and re-edit them to make, to like essentially optimize them for print. Um, as someone you know who studied you know printing processes and and stuff like that at my program at Ryerson it was really fun to do that definitely gave me some flashbacks and I think it's also cool when you work on the internet to, to see something really tangible that like you can create and I can like show my parents and be like look a thing because sort of when everything's online it's hard sometimes for people to understand like the impact, but when you have something physical in front of you, that's a reflection of the work you do every day. I found that to be super rewarding. Yeah, that's incredible. So it's a book all about BuzzFeed quizzes. Yes? Yes, where it's like essentially like kind of like those quizzes you used to take in Cosmo, where it's like mostly A's, mostly B's, but it's a combination of our different formats. So instead of just mostly A's, mostly B format, there's like a checklist quiz that's like you're only a 2000s girl if you check off like 35 out of 50 of these movies. So you go and you're like made in Manhattan, you know, and like bring it on. So it was just really fun to do and also to work with an art team. So at BuzzFeed, we have a full team of people who do photography and they, they do illustrator and they do, you know, beautiful original artwork for essays and for our social media designing different logos for all of our pages like Nifty and, and Tasty. And so they were also, we were working together for them to design all the sort of artwork elements that were going to be involved in the book. That's incredible. That sounds, yeah, that sounds really, really fun. I'm, I'm glad you got to work on a project like that and use all of your printing skills. Hey, I know. I was like, look at, look at me go. Table of contents. I remember all this, my margins. I was like, let's, are we printing this CMYK? What colors are we using? <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. So what, I mean, obviously the print project is a bit of an anomaly, but what materials and technologies do you usually use when you're working or what's, what's your process? So I use, like I mentioned this earlier, like Photoshop mostly, and then we have built-in design elements to our CMS. So like just a case by case, like what I would use Photoshop for is like something as simple as just making a red circle on an image, pixelating uh, an image of like a friend's character for a trivia quiz, or resizing a background image dimensions to fit in a new quiz builder. And you would be surprised how many like top tiered you know, roles, like people who don't know how to resize an image, like it's, it's incredible. So 
like the foundation of that knowledge has been super helpful in, in reference to writing. I use Google Docs and I keep everything on a jumbo Google Doc that because I'm scared of losing things always. But I would say my process is, you know, sometimes I look at old quizzes that did well and I try to apply, you know, new theories of thought, like new formats. So if it was a trivia one time, maybe I can do it as a personality quiz. If I did the world's easiest Titanic quiz, which I did recently, like why don't I make the hardest version? You know, so trying to um, switch it up in that way and look at past successes and see how I can riff off those. Amazing, ripping off yourself. I love it. Yeah, we call it remixing. Yep. Um, and sometimes we do full on like editorial sprints. So on an average day, I'll write one or two quizzes and on a sprint, they challenge us to write far more than that. So like 20 quizzes in a week, that's just sometimes a goal. So to save a lot of time and save a lot of brain power, sometimes you'll go back and be like, let me just mix this one up a little bit um, or update it or, or design it differently or make it more visual. So those are little shortcuts sometimes we rely on. Do you have any advice other than remixing your own work? Do you have any other kind of advice for aspiring meme designers and or quiz writers or lovers of all things BuzzFeed who want to get into the business professionally like you have? I would say this is one, one sort of piece of advice that I've heard over and over in my time at BuzzFeed in the past five years, which is don't be too precious with your work. It's like the best piece of advice I've ever received, which is that like people, sometimes me, I'm always scared like this quiz isn't perfect or like this meme could be better. And I delay, you know, posting it and making it public or submitting it. So like my advice is just like throw things at the wall, make the make it public, post it and see if people take notice. So you have a better chance at making an impression if you make you and your work uh, available and making your work easier to discover. So like if you have a bunch of designs or you're into art and you do a lot of drawings, I would say post them online somewhere for people to see, even if they're not up to your super high standards and you think people are going to judge you or pass like pass by you because it's not absolutely perfect. Like it's better just to like do it anyway um, and see, because just essentially you never know when a company or a community people are going to take notice. Like it's better to post things and have it there and discoverable than have nothing. So that's just my advice is like start an Instagram, you know, like post things on like art communities, if that's what you're into. And at the, at the very least, you can connect with people who have like similar styles or, or want to do similar things to you. Absolutely. And so speaking of that, speaking of social media and um, getting involved in an artistic community or whatever type of community you find online for your work, do you have any favorite accounts uh, that you follow that inspire you or any, who, who are your people? Oh gosh. So like I've fallen down the black hole that is TikTok. <laughs> it's so dangerous. Um, but I've especially found myself in like crafting an art TikTok and I, I never draw like really originally. Like sometimes I'll do digital artwork, but I'm not really into it. But I found all these really like fascinating videos of people using Procreate on, on the iPad. So like that drawing and art program. Um, it is so satisfying and fun to watch, but there's one person who's on TikTok, but they're, they have their Instagram and stuff, and their account is called Audacity Draws, um, and they use Procreate to do, like, really, really fun, weird things. They use an idea 
generator that will like go through a person and then a style and then they challenge themselves to draw that person in that style so like the last one i watched was they had to draw abraham lincoln in like a steampunk style and then like another one is that that they drew gordon ramsay in the style of the powerpuff girls <laughs> so <laughs> which like i can't stop watching i highly recommend following them audacity draws they're on instagram and tiktok but it's just really fun to see somebody mixing it up with styles and i can relate a lot to that with what i do with quizzes so it's taking the same topic and then applying like i'll do a trivia i'll do a personality i'll do a would you rather poll on the same thing um but i find it like i can't stop watching it that in addition to people making like hairbrushes out of resin that's a thing and also people making carpets by hand have you seen that I haven't. I'm afraid to start watching these types of videos because I will be sucked into a deep, dark, black hole of, like you said, like, I can't stop watching, so. Yeah, I'm, like, so close to, like, buying, like, a new iPad and, like, a you need a loom and an iPad. <laughs> I need a giant embroidery machine and a gun that shoots carpet material through, like, canvas. Like, that's where I'm at right now. But, um, I'm- Well, Christmas is coming up. Yeah, exactly. And what better, you have nothing else to do on Christmas Day except eat dim sum and go to the movies and make a giant embroidery loom. I can't wait. <laughs> so where can people find you, Sarah, if they want to get in touch with you or check out your work? Where's the best place to reach you? Um, the best place to reach me, like, personally is on all social media, at Saspler, which is S-A-S-P-L-E-R. And then you can also check out all my posts and quizzes at buzzfeed.com slash Sarah Aspler. So I started a little tradition here on Talk Paper Scissors with our guests. And my final question is, if you could use only one typeface for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Let me think for a second. Okay, this is one that I wish I could use like in our CMS, which is Futura. Okay, I just, I really like how geometric it is and how it looks really good when it can, needs to be really small. I find it like still legible. And I think it looks good on phones. Um, so I think that's the one I like best, and, and I kind of like sans serif fonts, like, just to begin with. I think they look good in posters when they're bigger, when they're small. But I, I know this isn't the question you asked me, but the, the typeface I hate the most please, is papyrus. <laughs> I, I actually wrote an entire post about um, how people should stop hating on Comic Sans, because, like, papyrus is the next Comic Sans. But... I just, you know, I think it needs to be unfortunately deleted from history because I've seen that on places it does not belong. Papyrus does not belong at the dentist. That's all I'll say. It might. I don't know. An ancient dentist. Yeah, maybe like the first dentist ever. The first dentist ever used it. Maybe that's, that. that's a special case. But like, if you're a dentist in like the modern world, if you have electricity, like don't use papyrus essentially. That's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for joining us today. And I wish you all the best with everything that you will produce and do at BuzzFeed. And I can't wait to take your next quiz. So thank you. Of course. Thank you for having me. And I'll send you the Etsy link to my um, loomed carpets soon. Yes. And there you have it. Another episode is in the books. 
Thanks for hanging out with me, and I look forward to the next time we get to talk paper scissors. Thank you.